Please turn with me in your Bibles to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1, we are focusing in today on verses 7 to 9 as we looked at verses 4 to 6 last week, and this is really the second part. When we do read the scripture, we will begin at verse 4 and read down to verse 9. Accountability is vital for a church to flourish in the faith. We need accountability. You know, when you think about accountability in other aspects of our lives or other areas of our lives, we readily accept it. If you're running a business or you're part of a business, you have a job. There are those that are above you who are managers or you have your boss who are making certain that you are performing your responsibilities as you should, that everything is going as as it should for the business to flourish. For young people being part of a sports team, You have your coach who is encouraging you, who is watching over you, correcting you. And you have your teammates who are holding you accountable to do as well as you can to to perform as best as you can that the team as a whole will do well. And when it comes to accountability in the church, interestingly, this is one area in which people really just tend to reject. We don't want accountability as far as the church, but we need accountability and not just any accountability. But we need those who will hold us accountable to what Scripture commands of us. If we are called to be children of God, if we recognize that we are part of the kingdom of God, then there is a way in which the citizens of the kingdom should conduct themselves and conduct their lives. And so in order to do this, we hold each other accountable. And we do so because there are certain areas perhaps in our own life, in the lives of others whom we love, whether family or friends, that we allow or permit in their life or in ours what we know to be wrong. And we say things like, we don't want to push people away by holding them accountable. We don't want to upset them by bringing this to their attention. We don't want to push the scripture on people for fear that they will turn away And in doing so, we compromise and hinder our own growth in Christ by not following what we know to be right. And we need accountability to keep us focused on pursuing what is good and right before God. Because how can we grow in holiness or in righteousness of the truth, as the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians, if we are not confronted with our sins that are evident in our own lives? We will remain there. And allow those things in our lives, in our homes, and in our churches. Who holds us accountable? Who watches over us to protect us from compromising ourselves or from teachings that harm us? And what we find is that this is the responsibility of the elders in the church. The leadership in the church. Ultimately. This does not negate each one of us individually from holding each other accountable as a congregation. But the task itself is given to the elders to oversee the flock of our Lord. As the elders we've been talking about continue the ministry of the apostles in the church to teach and preach what is good and right according to the scripture. And they, along with the deacons, 
serve as representatives of Christ who watch over the church and serve the church. You know, when you begin to hold people accountable, they, they say things like, well, only God can judge me. You have no right to judge me, and that is very true. Uh, for Christ is the one who judges, and the elders, the shepherds, the pastors of the church are to express to you the sins that Christ will judge. And to give you his view on matters that come up in, in matters of sin when it comes to our view of sin. The elders are the under-shepherds to the great shepherd, and through the encouragement of the elders and the deacons, the church is to grow in holiness and righteousness and purity. Uh, there was uh, one particular family that was here, it's been a while back, and had messaged me, and they were apparently going through some, some illnesses or something long, uh, along that line in their life, and um, and messaged me and was really complaining, like, I don't feel like I'm being pastored. I don't feel like I'm being cared for. Well, we didn't know that this was going on in your life because you didn't allow us to know that. But we have been wondering, you know, where you've been because we haven't seen you at church for a number of Sundays. It's been a number of Sundays, not just these ones that you're referring to uh, to me now. Well, that's none of your business. That's none of your business where we've been the past couple of Sundays. And I'm thinking... Do you want to be pastored or do you not? Do you want to be held accountable or do you not? People like a little bit of it, as long as it's benefiting them often. But we are to oversee. We are to, to watch out for. We are to help, guide, and encourage. Not bring, down, not bring down a family Bible upon your head, but to help encourage you. And to help you overcome if you, if you have sins in your life. And there is a way to do this. Uh, and there's a way not to do it. Some do it in a way that is very harsh. Showing little concern for others. That's not the right way to do it. But you know those kinds of churches when you see how people are afraid to even approach the elders or approach the pastor. It shouldn't be that way. There is a way to hold people accountable and to shepherd them and to watch over them and to guide them and, do, and to do so in a way that shows love and care. Because love and care should be expressed to you. Because you are precious in the sight of your Lord. Do you know that? When we went through John and, and Jesus is telling Peter, Peter, tend my flock, tend my sheep. You are precious in the sight of God. And so the love and the care of our Lord towards us needs to be expressed through the leadership to you. And so in our passage today, as we are continuing looking at the characteristics of elders, we're also be going to be looking at deacons as well, though they're not specifically mentioned in the passage. But we need to see the negative characteristics of what to watch out for. We need to see the positive characteristics of the shepherds that are going to shepherd accordingly. And we need to see their responsibility that they have uh, before God and under Christ. So if you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. We are reading Titus chapter 1 verses 4 to 9 of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, authoritative, infallible word.
Let us give our attention to the Holy Scripture. To Titus, my true child in common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. For this reason, I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort and sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Let's pray together. Gracious God and our Father, we come before you to give you honor this day. And we, we thank you, Father, that you guide us in the way that is good and right according to your word. And we pray that, that we will see our need, Father, not to reject accountability, but to willingly receive it. That we would indeed strive to live in a way that honors you. To pursue the things of God. And, and Father, to hold each other accountable as brothers and sisters in Christ. Not just as strangers to one another, but as a faith family. Loving each other and caring for one another. Father, thank you for this passage. And may you bless the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's children said, Amen. Please be seated. So we started last week looking at the qualifications of elders. We've seen the necessity of having a plurality of elders. You see this in Titus, you see it in Timothy, you see it in, in the book of Acts. Everywhere that Paul is going, he is not just establishing one, one pastor to be over the church. That is not the way that the scriptures have described for us how the church is to function. It is to be a plurality of elders, meaning a plurality of pastors, of shepherds. We looked at the, the necessity of that particular one who is coming to the office of elder as an overseer, that he must be one who loves his wife, who is devoted to his wife, because his characteristics begin in the family. And we talked about that. If... If one is being brought before the church uh, to be an elder or a deacon, we need to be looking at his family life. Is he devoted to his wife? That's what it means to be the husband of one wife. Is not referencing divorce. It's not referencing polygamy. It is to say that he must be a one-woman man in the sense that he is fully devoted to his wife. He loves his wife. He cares for his wife. He loves his children. He's devoted to his children. That is the characteristic of one who aspires to be elder. That's the kind of characteristics that we look for because if they are shepherding their own families as they should, then that love and care that they have for their families will also be that love and care to the church itself. And so the apostle says that he is to be blameless. He is to be above reproach. And that idea, as we talked about, he must be committed to purity in all areas of his life. We're not talking about perfection. We all know that we all fall short of the glory of God. That is not the standard. 
One writer says, Blamelessness refers not to perfection, but to a pattern of life against which no charge of wrong can be brought. Such a person, having committed a sin, immediately seeks forgiveness and enacts restitution if needed. Sinful behavior in a blameless person is recognized as an aberration, not a normalcy. And actually, you could look at being above reproach, being blameless is also uh, implied that uh, the one who is going to be over the church must be a believer. To be blameless before the Lord is to receive the imputed righteousness of Christ. So that should be a given. He must be a believer. To be blameless above reproach has to do with living in the present in a way that is consistent with what the grace of the gospel confers on those who believe and who receive it. Are there going to be areas in which he struggles? Are there going to be things in which he seeks to overcome in his own life? Absolutely. Not one of us who stands up here will tell you that we have everything figured out and we have everything going accordingly. For we battle every day with ourselves, just as you do. And the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. We're tearing down strongholds, every lofty thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. This is true for in our own lives, the things that bombard us every day. But this is indeed the standard in which we should strive to, to work towards, which is to be above reproach, husband of one wife, children who believe. We talked about that as well. It is not referring to that your children must be, must be Christians in order to serve in this capacity, but it is speaking of the overall home. Are the children in subjection to the parents or are they rebellious? Are they not just often, every now and again, rebellious? Is it a consistency? These are children in the home, not children that are away from the home, by the way. These are that are dependent upon their parents. We recognize that only God can save, so we can't force our kids to believe. But for the kids to have a respect for the authority that we have in the home. So, he uses two different words here, as we've, as we've looked at. Uh, elders is the word presbytos. In verse 7, he uses the word overseer, which is episkopos. He is giving, in these two words, the, the spiritual maturity that one should have and the task that they have of overseeing, watching out for. So we're going to look here at further, look further at the characteristics that one should have. And Paul really begins with giving us the negative characteristics. If you see people with these particular characteristics, then they are not fit in order to be a pastor or shepherd, at least not at that point in their life. We always recognize that the Lord can change and grow people. But here's what we need to look out for. We'll come back to the first statement of verse 7. He says, For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward. We'll come back to that. And so here's what he says. Negative characteristics. The first one, not self-willed. That means not, not overbearing. He doesn't have that, that overbearing sense of, of arrogance, of, uh, which arrogance often ends up coming about as a result of being insecure of your own self. That results in this domineering, despotic manner of leadership, as one writer says. He's more of a dictator than anything who crushes the spirit of some and he extinguishes the gifts of others. It must be his way. 
That kind of leadership is one that quickly divides a church. If, if the leadership is not promoting unity and seeking after unity and striving for unity, but wants to be domineering, it's my way, it's the highway, you're welcome to go out the door kind of an attitude, then there's not going to be any unity among the body of Christ. You need people in leadership that is seeking the, the welfare of the church and the benefit of the church to bring people together and not divide them. He's not to be self-willed. He's not to be quick-tempered, meaning angry all the time. He jumps to anger. That's his first reaction upon being confronted with anything in the sense of, well, you taught this the other day, perhaps. Is that really, you know, I was looking at this particular passage. What are you questioning me for? Don't you know who I am? <laughs> you know, here's a great example. I don't know if anybody saw it. <clears throat> it made its rounds uh, a while back on YouTube. You had that one particular pastor, I think he was out of Oklahoma, who was just berating his church members. I mean, he come down out of the pulpit because somebody was apparently getting ready to fall asleep. And he come out of the pulpit and he's like, oh, no, you're not falling asleep. I'm somebody. You're going to listen to me. And he comes down and he starts berating so many different people, so much so that he walks up to this one particular church member, a young man who has his soon-to-be spouse sitting next to him, and he says, you want me to marry you to her, and you want me to marry you to him? You're our worst church member. And he just goes on and on. That's the kind of thing that perhaps is being in view here. He's quick-tempered, he's angry, he's self-willed, and anger finds its root in pride. He's convinced of his own ways, his own opinions, and all that does is demonstrate an emotional immaturity and a lack of self-control. It doesn't produce unity. It doesn't produce love. None of the above. Again, as, we, as we've been talking about in the past couple of weeks, one motto, I guess you could say, of, of Reformed adherence is semper reformanda. We're always reforming. We're always growing. There's never a time in which we could say we have everything figured out, unless it's clearly within Scripture, of course. But when it comes to the practical aspects in the life of, of believers, there is a growing. There are things in which that I can say for my own self in, in the past six months that I've had to reevaluate of things that I thought I had a, a grasp on, an understanding of, and I've had to change my view on. Not in time view, don't get your hopes up. Not there yet. Nope, nope, nope. But there should always be that, that desire for the pastor and the elders to grow. To learn and continually learn. This is, this, is, this is the joy that we have of being believers in Christ is to constantly grow in our faith and grow in our knowledge of God. Because the, the pursuit of the scriptures is a lifelong pursuit. We'll never have it mastered. And that's the joy of continually learning. But you have to be willing to do so. This kind of man who is quick-tempered, who has everything figured out, convinced of his own opinions, this is one who probably has more tradition within his background than actual biblical knowledge. He is one who is fixated on his tradition. Nothing is going to question it. Nothing is going to change it. I had one guy who was pastoring a church in Every, every, every meeting they had with the deacons, this one particular deacon 
would always sit at the very end of the table. There was maybe six deacons. And no matter what it was that came up to change something, whether it was for the betterment of the church, he would sit down there constantly, even while, it's, while he's talking. While, while, while the pastor was talking, just trying to explain something, and he would sit at the end. Unwilling. Immovable when it comes to tradition. And that is one reason why, as we talked about last week too, that the one who is aspiring to the office of elder cannot be a novice. Cannot be a new believer. Uh, cannot be one who is a weaker brother. Because what happens when you put a weaker brother in a position of leadership? Then the things that offend him, that he's convinced are wrong, are going to go across the board to everyone, and that's how you develop legalism within the church. He cannot be quick-tempered. He goes on to say, not addicted to wine. He's not given over to drunkenness. Another reference here to control, self-control. And what's in view here is the people who abdicate their control to substances, whether alcohol or drugs. The idea in our vernacular would be being inebriated, smashed, wasted. Uh, that's what's in view here. He is one who controls himself, who is disciplined. He's not pugnacious. He's not, he's not a violent man. He's not a brawler. He's not one who is ready to fight at every little thing that occurs. Somebody challenges something again. And here's the thing that you need to understand as well. That if something is being taught to you, it's being preached to you, and you have questions on it, you know, that's, maybe that's not how I understood that before. Maybe that's not how I grew up or whatever. Can I talk to you about it and maybe just kind of help me with this? Then you need to understand that you are free to do that. And you should do that. You never should take what's out of the pulpit as... as is that that's that's it but to be like the Bereans and search the scriptures to see whether those things are so and if something comes up in which you feel like maybe that's not really right it doesn't sound right can you explain that further to me you should feel comfortable enough to come to your shepherds who are to love and care for you and to ask the questions and seek the answers and in doing so the shepherd cannot be a violent man ready to brawl Again, because you question something about I, something I taught or whatever. And the idea carries as well of him not being a bully. And we've seen, or well, some of us did. We read a number of articles and listened to some podcasts about what all had happened in, at uh, Mars Hill with uh, Mark Driscoll. And what was he doing? He was bullying his leadership in order to get what he wanted. That's not the characteristic to look for. He's not fond of sordid gain. He's not a lover of money. One writer said, uh, what's in view here is having a leader who is controlled by the love of money. He makes decisions not from wisdom, but for personal advantage. And another man says, with this kind of a man, he will barter away his faith for gain. One, one example that really comes to mind is the prosperity gospel teachers. They will take advantage of whoever they need to take advantage of in order to fill their pockets. That they can have million dollar jets and, and every other thing that they have. 
These are the, these are the characteristics that disqualify man. Because if you have somebody who is, who is producing these kind of characteristics in his attitude, in his words, in his demeanor, then again, you're not getting a shepherd, you're getting a dictator. And the shepherds, the, the under-shepherds of a church are, are under the authority of Christ. And if Christ loves his flock and if Christ cares for them and he wants uh, them to do what is right according to his word, that they live uh, a joyous life, if he, as he says, an abundant life, then those who are un the under-shepherds in order to care for them need to have the same character as our Lord, to love and to care, to be understanding and patient. Otherwise, it will produce disunity, factions, anger, resentment within the body of Christ. So these are the characteristics that disqualify a man. Here's are the ones to look for. These are the positive characteristics. The apostle says he must be hospitable. He needs to be open to caring for the needs of others, supplying others with what, what they need to help, to be willing to help. There's that attitude of giving that a shepherd needs to have. And by the way, not just shepherds, but deacons. And we'll get to that in a minute. But these characteristics that we're going through also need to be present within deacons. They need to be willing to give, having that attitude of giving, as we recognize in God's common grace that he has a good will towards all. In the same way, the under-shepherds, the leaders of the church, the officers of the church, also need to have that, that good will towards others. He needs to love what is good. Not just doing what is good, but loving what is good. He's devoted to the, the morals and the ethics of Scripture. This is what is good. It's not just doing the right thing, but loving the right thing. It's not being, you know, be, just having to do something because it's, it's part of your duty. Well, I have to do this. I really don't want to. It's good. It's what the church expects of me. And so I do it. I do it begrudgingly. But the idea here is, is that you love to do what is good. That's what the shepherd should desire, to love what is good, because what is good is according to Scripture. He needs to be sensible. One who is self-controlled. One writer says, self-control reveals itself in a myriad of ways. Through patience, gentleness, sobriety, faithfulness, financial integrity, such a person is proof of God's divine life within. He's just. He's upright. It refers to his conduct before other people. He's devout. And actually, in some of your translations, this may say holy. It's not the same word as what we normally understand as holy, but it's referring to having a cleansed heart and a genuine relationship, a genuine committed relationship with the Lord. He's devout. He's self-controlled, really summing up a lot of everything that has been said thus far, meaning he's disciplined, and this covers the entirety of his life. A person exercising control in his thoughts and attitudes, actions, speech. These are the characteristics that a church should look for. It's one thing to go through these characteristics and say, 
we have this particular candidate who's up. He exhibits these particular ones, we think. And what do you all think? You all need to know these. This isn't just for the installation of elders and deacons and all of this. You need to know this because these are the people who are going to be caring for you. And so you need to know their character. You need to know their family. You need to know that they are indeed seeking out what is good and right by the Lord, that they are going to care for you properly. That they are genuinely going to have a love for you. Because in your time of need, you're not just going to want somebody who's going to come alongside you that's just going to perform their duty, but you want somebody who's going to come alongside you who genuinely cares for you. And who says, look, I'm here. I'm here for you. What can I do to help? How can I pray for you? What do you need of me? And be willing, them being willing to give their time to you to help, whatever the case is. You need to know the character of the people who are caring for you. So these are things that we all need to be paying attention to. And there's something more to that. And we'll look, I'll get to that in a minute. But these are the characteristics. Now, when you look at these characteristics, you're seeing, you're seeing the very character. I'll say the, what's referred to as some of the communicable attributes of God being conveyed within the man. We talk about the communicable attributes of God. These are the attributes of God that, that find uh, reflection in man. And when we talk about how uh, man is created in the image of God, that doesn't mean that man looks like God or any of that other stuff. God doesn't have a body of flesh and bone. He's a spirit. We talk about that. But what does it mean to be created in his image according to his likeness? It is to be created according to his attributes, his character, his nature. So when you're talking about the communicable attributes of God, you're talking about his love, holiness, righteousness, goodness, kindness, faithfulness. And when you're looking at the fruit of the Spirit, what do you have? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. These are attributes that God himself has shown to man. And these are the same attributes that need to find reflection in man as he is Christ's representative caring for the flock of the Lord. So these are the characteristics you look for. Because it's often, as we've talked about often, that most of the time, when we talk about the love of God and how the love of God is poured out toward all of us or God's care and his encouragement and his strength, often the way that God conveys that to you is through the people of God. God loves you and he demonstrates that love to you by putting people in your life who love you and who encourage you and who care for you. And that's, that's often how the church functions is to demonstrate to each other the love and the character or the love and the care and the, and the encouragement, all of that of the Lord. And that needs to be especially true within the leadership of a church. Because here's the responsibility. As he goes in verse 7, as he says in verse 7, he says this statement, For the overseer must be above reproach, remember blameless, as God's steward. This is his responsibility is to be God's steward. It is to be managing the household of God in a way that honors the Lord. And this is being done according to God's commands, God's ways, not our own way. 
As I had shared with you last week, as Paul Washer had said to a young man, he said, young man, God doesn't need your clever ideas. He just needs you to do what is written. And I, I think it was Vody Bauckham who said something to the effect of, when, when the time comes that people in your church, as, as they are, are passing on and they're, they're going on to the Lord, that you can rightly stand above the people as you're preaching their funeral and you can rightly say, I did right by you because I did what was written. And that's what is needed out of a shepherd is to do what is written because this is God's way for caring for God's church. So he is God's steward. He is to manage the household of God. It belongs to God. It is his. And this is the way he says to care for it. And so this is what we are to do. He is God's steward. And as, as such, in verse 9, he is to hold fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching. He used to hold fast the Word. The Word of God. And again, when you're thinking of, of the Word of God, you have everything that is necessary for faith and life that is contained within the Scriptures according to what Peter says. Everything we need to know for faith and life is contained in the Scripture. How then shall you live before God? It's in the Scripture. How are we to treat one another? How are we to cultivate unity within the body of Christ? It's in the Scripture. Everything we need to know is in the Scripture, and that's why the Scripture has to be the priority and the focus as the people come together for worship. And as we talked about as well, when it comes to the time of preaching and teaching, this is the high point of worship because as long as the man in the pulpit is preaching what is true and right according to the context striving to get it right in his understanding and interpretation, then we recognize that Christ is standing above the man preaching to his people and the word of God is being applied to the hearts of the people through the spirit of God. This is Christ speaking to his people and so the one who is shepherding needs to have a clear understanding, a clear understanding of what the word of God says, how it is to be applied, the importance of the word of God in the practical aspects of the church, all of that. And he must hold fast these qualities because this is, these, these are the words of life. He's to love, as, we, as you're looking at these characteristics again, he's to love what is good because to love what is good is to love the things of God. Only God is good. God has given us his word which is good. He used to be hospitable and show the care and the love that God has for his people. He used to be just. To do right by the people of God and demonstrate God's character to the people. Not to be out for their own advantage of things or whatever, but to be selfless and to demonstrate back to the congregation the selflessness of Christ to him. He's to demonstrate to the congregation his love and commitment to the word of God. It's his priority. It's the basis for how he lives. Because this is the only objective truth that we have. We don't have to guess what it is that God desires of us when it comes to right and wrong, good and evil. It's not, it's not something that you have to guess or you have to pray about if you know exactly what the scripture is saying. Well, I really think, you know, it's, it's so funny. How people respond to things. You know, I really think, you know, brother, maybe this isn't really right of how this is going in your life. You know, the, the scripture tells us this. Well, let me pray about it. 
let me pray on that. It's like, there's nothing to pray about if you know that this is the right thing to do. Do you think God is going to give you some different answer than he gave you within the scripture? How about no? Not happening. Everything that the Spirit leads us to do is in agreement with the word that he inspired. And so then this must be the basis for our lives and how we seek to bring others along too. And to be sensible, to suppress as best as what we can our thoughts and our actions and our speech and to show reliance upon the Spirit of God to help us to do that. And that's why we immerse ourselves within the Word of God and to hold fast because, again, here are the words of life. And as we come to understand more and more of who God is and the majesty and the splendor of God and the more that the Spirit of God is helping us to suppress the flesh and to be more alive to to the Lord, then the more self-control that we can have by the power of the Spirit of God. We must, be self, we must have control. And we may glorify our Lord in the way that we speak to one another, showing patience and love and kindness. Having these qualities demonstrates our commitment to the scripture of holding it fast, which is in accordance with the teaching for the purpose that he will both be able to exhort, which is to urge, urge the people of God to do what is right, You know that this is right, so do it. And to refute the false teachings is what is in view here. Those who contradict, whether it's those that are in the church who contradict. And you'll see here uh, the need to rebuke some sharply in the next section there. Whether it's talking about contradictory views within the church or false teachings that are trying to infiltrate the church. The people of God need to be protected and, and, and guided into what we know to be true according to Scripture. And that's why when it comes to the pastors and shepherds of a church, that's why they try to study everything. Every new movement that you hear coming out, we need to look into that. Because we need to know whether or not this is something that is of God or this is something that's going to lead people astray and harm the body of Christ. That's why, that's why we try to study everything that we can. That's why within the past number of, of months, you know, we've studied on the lordship salvation controversy. We, we're study, we've studied on the theonomy controversy. I mean, there are things in which they're, that are popping up and gaining popularity, and you want to know what exactly do these movements say, and is it in agreement with the Scripture? And that's why it's necessary to be students of the Scripture and to hold fast to the teaching, because if you know what the Word of God says, you'll be able to spot the, the counterfeits. Now, this isn't just necessary character, characteristics for elders. Paul only emphasizes um, the character, character of elders here, but this also needs to be true of the deacons. When you look back in 1 Timothy chapter 3, when it comes to the deacons... In verse 8 of chapter 3, 1 Timothy, he says, this is Paul writing to Timothy, Deacons likewise must be men of dignity, 
not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also be first tested and let them serve as deacons if they are above reproach, beyond reproach. Verse 11 references the wives of the deacons. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Then it goes back to the deacons. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children, of their households. Uh, For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So the deacons themselves need need to have those kind of characteristics too in order to care for the church. And it's necessary to speak very quickly here about the deacons and, and what they are to uh, do as well. What are their responsibilities? In the past, I think we have done a disservice to the deacons. Because we have said things in the past and we've, we say it because it was said at the previous church, it sounded good and so we said it again. But ultimately, I think we did a disservice to the deacons by saying things like, well... The elders take care of the spiritual needs of the church and the deacons take care of the physical needs of the church. And that's just simply not true. I want you to come with me to Acts chapter 6 when the deacons are chosen. Chapter 6 beginning verse 1. I want you to think through what is happening here. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they lay their hands on them. Now I want you to see... What kinds of things are the deacons taking care of here? Taking care of. They're not just taking care of a situation in which, well, you need food and so we'll make sure that you have food. There's a complaint that has arisen and factions have been made. There's disunity. And so the deacons then are to be an extension of the care and, and, and uh, the guidance of the elders to the people and that they are helping to, to bring people together. They are helping to maintain the unity within the body of Christ. And they need to be men of wisdom and men full of the Spirit, meaning that they understand the Scripture. Because when different things come up in your life, let's say you do have an ailment. You have some kind of an illness that comes up in your life. And then you have one of the deacons that goes to you and they, they're, they're there to minister to you. And so they need to have something to say to you. So they need to know the Word of God. They need to know uh, the, 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 the particular scriptures that give you hope in your time of need. 
They need to be able to take two opposing parties and to come between them and show that patience and that love and the care that is there, not only in the characteristics of the deacons in 1 Timothy 3, but also in what we just read in Titus for the elders. And they need to be able to have a level head and to bring people together to maintain the unity of the body of Christ. And that is dealing with the spiritual needs of the church, not just the physical needs. And so those church officers who are appointed by the church need to be people that you, that you trust, people that are going to look out for your interest. And that is something that we, uh, a late lesson, but that is something that we've come to understand as well. That when it comes to appointing deacons and appointing elders, this is not done by the leadership only. This is done by you, the congregation. You see the characteristics that we're going over here. You see the characteristics of deacons. You see the characteristics of elders. And then you come to the leadership and you say, hey, this particular one over here, they're really fulfilling the office of of a deacon. They have a servant's heart. They're able to communicate the word of God in such a way in order to encourage and to help. These over here, the way that they teach, they're able to communicate the word of God in such a way that it's understandable. Might be looking at them for elder. And so then what do we do? As those names come up, then the church leadership is looking at those individuals and seeing how they grow within the congregation. Because again... From what we're understanding from passages like this, from passages like the book of Acts, it is not just us bringing somebody up before you. It needs to be somebody that you see in your midst, within your, yourselves. You see the men who fit this character. The congregation needs to be very much involved here. So that you trust the people that are placed over you to care for you. You know their character. You know their love for God. You know their love for others. You know their, you know their theology is sound. You believe that they, that they believe the scripture is true. And that they love the Lord. And they want to please the Lord. You see that. Because you're going to have to trust them. And you're going to have to know that they have your interest in mind when they come to you. And let's say it is to come to you to rebuke you. You need to know that when they come, that they're coming because they love you. And you take part in this. Just as what we found in Acts. The apostles said to the congregation, choose seven men. The congregation chose and they brought them before the elders. Or the apostles rather. And it was good to everybody. The deacons and the elders work in conjunction with each other in order to care for the people of God. And both minister to the spiritual needs of the people of God. One writer says this, Elders and deacons are not two independent offices with each doing its own thing. Both are to be supportive of one another, working together to accomplish God's purposes for the church. 
The elders are to support the deacons through encouragement, instruction, leadership, guidance, and proper delegation according to gifts, according to gifts, burden, and interest. The deacons support the elders by relieving them to carry, to carry on their primary ministry and by cooperation. Both should give input to one another concerning problems, needs, and ideas for accomplishing the goals of the church. The deacons and the elders, they complement one another. The elders have the oversight of the church. They can seek out the deacons to do something perhaps a certain way or a particular way. And the deacons have every right to say, is that really the best way? Maybe we ought to talk about it. Again, the elders are not to be dictators. But deacons and elders come together and they evaluate the suggestions given by each. And the elders need to give serious consideration to the suggestions of the, of the deacons because we're working together. We need both. We need the elders and deacons who are committed to the word of God so that the congregation can flourish. And that's teaching you what is right, guiding you into what is right, caring for you the right way, and to hold you accountable to do what is right. All of that is for the benefit of you. If you think about what the elders in particular are to do, listen, listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. It says in verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this will be unprofitable for you. There should be a joy not only for the elders to shepherd you and to show love and care for you, but there should be a willingness on your part as well not to cause grief to those who care for your souls either. We are to work together as church leaders to care for you properly. And sometimes it requires patience on your, your side too. <laughs> we all need to be working for the same thing. So when it comes up, men are raised up. Maybe you think are those who have characteristics of elders, maybe those of deacons, then you need to bring that to the leadership of the church because you are to be involved in that. Again, they are chosen to care for you and to love you and you need to be able to trust them and to know them. <clears throat> one, one writer says this and then we'll close. And again, these are things that you need to know. These are not just going over characteristics. These are characteristics, one, that we all need to be striving for to show maturity in Christ, absolutely but especially those that you are voting in to keep watch over you, to watch out, watch out for your souls. And actually, when it comes to keeping watch, it refers, the wording there refers to uh, wakeful vigilance at night. When enemies might attack under the cover of darkness, this was the duty of a watchman on the city walls and shepherds tending flocks in open country. Watchmen who fail to sound the alarm when the enemies approach or, and shepherds who do not protect the flock from predators will answer to God for their negligence. All will give an account to God. You want to know that 
those that are shepherding you are not going to be like the hirelings and abandon you when trouble comes. They're devoted to you. They love you. And the deacons are devoted to serving and to maintain the unity of the church. One, one theologian says, A congregational role in the recognition and appointment of church leadership finds warrant in Scripture. Indeed, there appears to be a role both for the elders and for the congregation in appointing church officers, roles that should be reflected in the actual polity of local churches, and polity is just referring to the, the government system that is within the church. One way to do this would be for the elders to receive recommendations for church officers from the members of the congregation. The elders would then pray over the recommendations and vet them for the congregation. Then the elders would bring candidates to the congregation to approve by vote. After the congregation selected the candidates, the elders would pray over them and install them. And that's the way it needs to function. It needs to go for the purpose, again, that you are loved, cared for, that you are being shepherded by people who love you. You're being served by people who love and care for you. And there's that genuine desire to maintain the unity within the local faith family. So you need to know these and you need to pay close attention because when the time comes, you need to be choosing people that you know and that you trust. Let's pray together. Gracious God and our Father, thank you once again for your word and thank you, Father, for the, the gift that you have given all of us of, of leaders who love one another, who love the congregation who seek to help the congregation, to lead them to do what is right. And we pray that as you raise up others, that we will be mindful of their character and their love for their families, their love for others. And Father, that we will indeed um, do according to your will. That we will see these folks and know that they are desirous to further the church along in love and in unity. Thank you so much for the love and the care that you show us through the other members of the congregation, the love of Christ and the encouragement of Christ. Thank you for bringing us together. Thank you for that fellowship. And Father, may we glorify you in the days to come. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's children said, Amen.